Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, tedhart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. And good afternoon. I am coming to you live from a very icy and cold Washington, D.C., uh, this is Tuesday, January 18th. You are live here on the Nonprofit Coach, and as always, we start with page one. Well, we've got a great show for you today. Don't forget that you can dial into 347-324-3080. You'll have the opportunity today to ask questions of one of the all-time great fundraisers, a sage in our industry, Jim Greenfield, who I will introduce to you a bit later on. Don't forget, you can also join us in the chat room, and I see a number of people who are joining us in the chat room now. You can ask questions there, or you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. First up here in the radio links on page one news for the nonprofit coach with Ted Hart. Uh, you will find over at tedhartradio.com all of our radio links today. And I do want to draw your attention uh, to Portland being the latest addition to Panera Bread's uh, opening of nonprofit cafes. This is their third pay-as-you-can uh, cafes. The Hollywood Panera Bread in Northeast Portland uh, has opened as the company's, as Panera Bread's, uh, third pay-as-you-can nonprofit cafe in the country. Uh, today is the last day for that organization. The, uh, back on Tuesday uh, was the last day that was running as a for-profit arm of the company. The cafe closed and has reopened uh, with its staff being 
being retrained and the interior reconfigured for the new system of pay what you can. And this is part of their Panera Cares Community Cafe program, which is run by the Panera Bread Foundation. Read all about it. This is a great opportunity for Portland uh, to be the third in a string of Panera Bread pay-as-you-can nonprofit cafes. Uh, next up here, I have a very uh, – this is just a great show. I'll, I'll tell you, we've got one guest after another, and each one is more impressive than the last, and what a great group. And first up, very impressive uh, for uh, for me to have on the show today. I can't tell you how proud I am to uh, spend some time today on page one helping our good friends uh, over at JustGive.org celebrate their 10th anniversary live here on the Nonprofit Coach is Kendall Webb. Kendall, how are you? Great, Ted. How are you? Uh, great. Well, it's wonderful to have you uh, back here on the Nonprofit Coach. Of course, this is a very special opportunity for all of us to draw attention to the incredible work of JustGive.org. JustGive has been a friend of mine, Kendall, uh, from the very beginning of the ePhilanthropy Foundation way back in 2000. Uh, and uh, now, uh, as we are uh, putting together the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart and the P2P Fundraising Newsletter, uh, all of our online activities are about helping charities succeed online. And that, Kendall, has been a big approach that you've had. You are one of our number one recommendations to charitable organizations who are interested in online charitable giving. Now, tell me, how did you make all this work for 10 years? And for those who may not be familiar with JustGive.org, give us a little primer. Sure. Well, you know, it started slow and steady 10 years ago when it was all new, and the Internet was a new platform uh, to help philanthropy. So we did a lot of listening and a lot of building technology, and we ended up with a platform that is really taking off on its own. Um, it's uh, a platform that obviously donors can take advantage of, but nonprofits can, and really all these other groups like corporations and special interest groups are now taking advantage of our site and um, using it to help raise awareness for causes that they care about. But also the newest thing is in traditional realms where these, these groups were picking a charity and raising money on behalf of that specific charity that they thought of, whether it be a corporation or a musician, they're now using our technology to enable their users um, to pick the charity that they want. So they're actually using the technology as actually, specifically as we intended, which is putting it out to the people, not choosing for them, and letting them get involved um, and help the causes that they care about most. And to me, that's the most exciting part of it because it's like an octopus with many arms and it's really getting people engaged with the causes they care about as opposed to the ones that uh, whoever's throwing the event cares about. Now, we have a link for everybody over in the radio links at tedhartradio.com directly to justgive.org. And, Kendall, as you know, uh, in uh, my books, my lectures, and here on this radio show, we really uh, promote the use of Just Give. And I do often get asked 
um, the question about, well, what about uh, Network for Good? Um, and it's certainly nothing against the fine folks over at Network for Good, but we only recommend on this show Just Give because you didn't raise uh, your credit card processing fees, and they did, and that to me uh, is a big deal uh, for charities to try to save money wherever they can. So charities who take our advice and use Just Give as their Donate Now button on their website, um, how does that work, and what's the percentage of credit card processing fee that they'll pay? Well, you have a great point that we are extremely grassroots, and our entire goal is to lower our costs as much as possible. Um, you know, our overhead is, is 3% um, in terms of all the projects that we run. So our goal is always to pass through as much money as we can. And when a nonprofit uses our site, it's anywhere between 2.25% and 3% because um, we've gotten some beneficial rates recently from Amex. So in some ways, our rates are going down rather than up, and we're really trying to hold to that as long as we can. That's so great. That are you saying that money it's, uh, is, is it 2.5 for Amex or, or Visa? 2.25% for Amex. So we've, we've gotten them to lower it, and we're actually working on some other credit cards to lower theirs as well. That is really terrific, and I know that that's a real focus. But but you're more than just the online donations, uh, the the online giving button, which we again for small charities we recommend that they only use Just Give. Uh, I also often get asked about, well, what about PayPal? Um, and uh, and I never suggest that PayPal be used as the principal donate now button. I think it is a good thing to offer in a drop down menu of other ways to give. Uh, but Just Give is our main recommendation on this show. But you more than just donate now you also have charity gift cards how do those work for charities yes yeah, so the charity gift cards are really taking off and that's been a huge reason for our gigantic growth just from last year from 2009 to 2010 um, so individuals can come online they can give a charity gift card in lieu of a present or a thank you or uh, um, some flowers and the recipient gets to choose what charity they will redeem that gift certificate for. So an example of how we're creatively using this is we're not just offering it on our site like many websites are doing right now just for people to try to figure out how to use it. We're actually trying to package this in creative ways, everything from um, memorials and bar mitzvahs. So we're going to have a widget that people can use and nonprofits can use to put on their website um, to encourage people to use these for memorials in lieu, in lieu of flowers, bar mitzvahs for their um, philanthropy um, outreach, and all kinds of special events. And then um, the, the gift cards can be redeemed for that particular charity. All the way through to, um, you know, the Dave Matthews had two concerts in, uh, in uh, last fall, last December in Oregon, and he wanted to give money back. And so what he did was he uh, used us, for anybody who bought a ticket to one of these two concerts, they got to pick a charity that they would like money to go to, and Dave Matthews gave the money, the, the ticket price, and then matched it two more times. So $150. That's incredible. That's incredible. This is the kind of creativity that charities can expect in partnering uh, with JustGive.org. Kendall, congratulations on 10 years. Thank you for coming on uh, page one of the Nonprofit Coach today. And just give us uh, that, that uh, look into how you help support nearly 1.8 million uh, charitable organizations in the United States. We do want to get you back on the show to talk about strategy and nonprofit resources, your corporate partners, and all the other wonderful things that are happening over at JustGive.org. Kendall Webb, thank you for joining us today here on The Nonprofit Coach. 
Thank you, Ted. You bet. Uh, next up here on the, the nonprofit coach um, is uh, a very special report that I want to draw your attention to. Uh, this comes to us from Marketing Sherpa. You'll find the link over in the radio links of uh, tedhartradio.com. This is a 42-page report. Of course, I'm not going to read it to you uh, today, uh, but what you'll find in here is information on email marketing, online marketing, social media marketing, general marketing wisdom, and they have that all broken down for you. It's a PDF file that you can download right from the radio uh, links today. And one of the things that I really wanted to share with you um, is some wisdom about email marketing. Of course, everyone's uh, interested in succeeding online, um, and uh, since digital marketing is cheap and often uh, can even be free, we tend to overdo it. And this is one of the things that I share uh, in my lectures, uh, and that is more links, more content, more email newsletters, more pages, and that doesn't mean more success. One of the things that we've really been doing is overloading our donors and supporters with information. Put simply, try reducing your newsletter content just as I give you advice that on your homepage of your website, your content should be above the scroll. Certainly, your email newsletter should also fit all above a scroll, not a long, long uh, email, uh, or as we do at p2pfundraising.org, at the very least give hot links so people can jump to the stories that they prefer. So again, you'll find that over in the radio links at tedhartradio.com. Uh, Just a reminder that as we uh, move through page one and get on to uh, page two, uh, you'll be able to call in and ask questions of our wonderful page two expert today, Jim Greenfield, by dialing 347 3243080. Now, just a reminder, you need to press the number one to raise your hand to let me know that you do want to ask a question because some folks dial in and listen to the show live and they prefer to do that by phone. I'm not going to call on you unless I know in the switchboard you'd like to be called upon. Now, next up here, I've got another very special guest, and this is uh, really wonderful for me to be able to, uh, if you don't know, uh, Clint O'Brien, uh, who is over at Care2, another thought leader uh, in our industry. And Clint is always looking for what's new and what's cutting edge. And today, uh, I've asked Clint to come on to the show uh, today because he's going to brief you on a new concept that only two states here in the United States currently have uh, in their laws, and that is something new uh, called the B Corporation, a B standing for Benefit Corporation. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, Clint O'Brien. Thanks very much, Ted. Yeah, um, so uh, thanks for inviting me on to the Nonprofit Coach to talk about B Corporations. Actually, I've just come from a press conference that we held here in Washington, D.C. this morning, despite the ice, that's about B Corporations. Um, for those people who don't know, uh, B Corporations were, are a designation that was created about three years ago. My company, Care2, uh, decided about two years ago to become a B Corporation. So now we're one of about 365 B Corporations across the country, and that number is growing every day. And today's press conference was about explaining to those folks who don't know about B Corporations what they are, how they're different, and we were especially focused on explaining this to nonprofit organizations because the group of uh, B Corps that had the press conference this morning, Care2 included, are special in that we derive most of our revenue from serving nonprofit clients. 
And so it's very, very important to us to, to explain this to folks. So tell us, what, what is the difference between a 501c3 status, uh, a B corporation status, and maybe an S corp or a private corporation status? Right. So, so CARE2 is an example of a B corporation, which is a for-profit company uh, that has a social mission that it takes seriously, so much so that it amends its own articles of incorporation to uh, cover the interests of stakeholders, not just shareholders, and has to live up to a set of principles and actually be rated according to a pretty specific and detailed rating system that is promulgated by um, the certifying organization, which is itself a nonprofit called uh, B-Lab. And uh, anyone who's interested in this topic, I should say, might want to check out a new microsite that the other B Corps for Nonprofits and Care2 joined together to launch today. It's The web address is www.bcorpsfornonprofits.com. And on that site, we outline the ways that we're different. So uh, just to, to say in a nutshell, uh, B corporations are companies that are trying to make a profit but trying to do good in the world while they make a profit. And so we're trying to use the power of business as a force for solving social and environmental problems. And uh, there's some very specific things we have to do. We have to meet transparent and comprehensive standards of social and environmental performance. As I said, we have to amend our Articles of Incorporation, which is actually important for protecting members of the company um, because we are going to be putting a lot of long-term interests ahead of short-term interests, which occasionally looks like you're not putting um, shareholders' interests uh, forward for, uh, paramount. And then the other thing we have to do is agree to kind of spread the gospel about this new designation, which I think is really gaining traction not only because of the two states, Maryland and New Jersey, uh, that have recognized this, but also um, the city of Philadelphia now has created tax breaks for B corporations to try to lure uh, B corps to Philadelphia. So it's it's a movement now, and it's getting it's picking up steam. Well, congratulations on doing that, and over in the radio links uh, at tedhartradio.com, uh, our listeners will see uh, not only uh, a uh, notation um, specific to an article that was posted online uh, when Maryland uh, was, I believe, the first state uh, to uh, uh, start offering the designation of B corporations. Is that right? That's right. And then New Jersey has just added theirs, as you just mentioned. And so uh, it, today in the radio links, our, our folks will see not only an article that describes how Maryland uh, added, but they will also find a link, as you have just suggested, uh, that they follow the link to B Corps for Nonprofits. Uh, com, and so they'll be able to read everything about it there. This is very exciting, and I think anything that we can do to draw attention uh, to the partnerships that are possible between for-profits and nonprofits to help those in needs and to strengthen our communities is a good thing. And, Clint O'Brien, you're clearly, once again, a leader in our industry in helping us understand these topics. Thanks, Ted. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach, Clint O'Brien from CARE2. Next up here on the uh, uh, Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, uh, over in the radio links, you will find uh, today uh, a notation, and I think a very important one, uh, that uh, yesterday was Martin Luther King Day. And in the nonprofit sector, of course, we're very pleased and honored that across the country people have chosen uh, to make the Martin Luther King Day holiday a day of service. And the question is, what are you doing for others? And I have a very 
very special audio clip for you today. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. once said, life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? In his lifetime, Dr. King set big goals, built a movement, and changed the course of history. Hello, I'm Patrick Corvington, CEO of the Corporation for National and Community Service, speaking to you from the Martin Luther King Library here in the nation's capital. Next month, we will celebrate the 25th anniversary of the holiday recognizing one of America's greatest heroes. The best way to honor Dr. King's memory is by making January 17th a day of service, a day on, not a day off. Dr. King devoted his life to the work of building a more perfect union. As Americans, that is a job for all of us, not just on MLK Day, but throughout the year. You don't have to lead a global movement or inspire an entire generation. You just have to give of yourself in some small way to make this world better. There's no shortage of work to be done, from mentoring a struggling child to assisting a military family. So on the silver anniversary of MLK Day, do your part by joining or organizing a service project in your community. To find out how, visit mlkday.gov. We are strongest. We are more united. We are at our best when we do for others. Thank you. Thank you for that very special message coming to us from the National, the Corporation for National and Community Service. It is never too early to begin planning what you will do for MLK Day next year. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is a notation that just as uh, we uh, just celebrated Just Gives' 10th anniversary, uh, Wikipedia. Wikipedia is also celebrating its its 10th anniversary. Uh, Wikipedia is uh, uh, an online encyclopedia, and in the radio links today, you'll see a uh, notice from Reuters uh, posted that uh, Wikipedia is now targeting India. Uh, with China virtually cut off and Western markets maturing, Wikipedia is starting to target India. Uh, and as you know, uh, I started my work in India this last August, uh, and I'm very pleased to share with you that I will have additional details for you, but I will be returning to support nonprofit work in India again this year in September. So that's what we have here on the Nonprofit Coach for page one. You can find all those radio links at tedhartradio.com. Now, today marks the second uh, in our series of the AFP Wiley radio show. Uh, our first radio show was last month, and I was absolutely thrilled uh, to kick off that series uh, with Kay Sprinkle Grace as our guest. And you can find uh, her podcast uh, over at tedhartradio.com. So today is our second show in the AFP Wiley radio series, and so we have our very special AFP Wiley theme music to bring in page two. That's our theme music for the AFP Wiley Radio Show, and it is my pleasure uh, to welcome to the nonprofit coach with Ted Hart, Jim Greenfield. ACFRE FAHP has been a leader in the nonprofit sector for more than 40 years, establishing startup fundraising programs at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation, New England Baptist Hospital, University Hospital, Boston University Medical Center, and the Children's Medical Center of Boston. He has written four books. He is 
edited several books, and right here on this show, uh, he is an editor to all of my online fundraising books, and in particular, our two most recent books together uh, have been People to People Fundraising and Internet Management for Nonprofits. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach, Jim Greenfield. Well, good afternoon, Ted. It is great privilege on my part to have you here on the show. I consider you one of the all-time sages in our industry, what you have said and done, and you've shown us the way to fundraise successfully uh, here in the United States. I know you've been active around the world. Jim, with all of your years of experience, uh, and I want to talk about your books, and I want to talk about the specific work uh, that you've done, let's start right off with what's Jim Greenfield doing right now, because I I know that you're, you're a consultant, and I just want to bring everybody up to date uh, as to where Jim Greenfield is right now. Well, I could admit that I'm practicing retirement, but beyond that, <laughs> I, I do try to stay busy. Um, I'm doing a lot more volunteer work with both the uh, Executive Service Corps of Southern California and with the uh, Volunteer Center here in Orange County, which is called 1OC. Both programs provide senior executives in either retirement or semi-retirement status who provide their counsel and coaching advice to nonprofits in the area. And it's uh, it's been great fun, and we think, I believe, that we're actually helping people move their programs forward on a voluntary basis. That's terrific. And, of course, anyone looking to find uh, Jim on the web, you can find his link uh, in this week's newsletter at p2pfundraising.org in the archives, or you can go directly to fundraiser.com. And, and uh, those of us who have known Jim as a while, uh, for a while, his email has always been uh, fundraiser at something. It was at Cox. It was at, uh, but, uh, uh, at Comcast. Um, and uh, it's spelled F-U-N-D-R-A-Z-E-R, and that's fundraiser.com, uh, and that's where people can find you uh, if they need help with their fundraising. So, Jim Greenfield, with all of uh, the, uh, uh, the, the experience that, that you have as a fundraiser, is there, is there one piece of advice that you have uh, for our listeners in terms of what they're doing right now to help them succeed? Oh, my goodness. One piece of advice. Well, let me suggest, separate from surviving, that it does help, I think, if we spend some time educating the organization in how fundraising works. A lot of people really don't understand it very well in terms of the day-to-day kinds of operations that we attempt to manage. So I have found in starting the programs that you mentioned in the introduction that the first six months or so, I spent time walking around the institution, talking to various people within the institution, department heads, staff members, senior executives, board members, to help them understand what it is I thought we should be doing, how it is I thought we needed to to carry it out, what I thought would be the results, and helping them understand that it's It's an investment strategy, and it's going to take a while for it to really start to pay off. But we need to know the community. We need to know the services we provide. We need to know the needs of the community that intersect with our institution. And then based on that, we make a plan to go out and invite the public to join us in helping fulfill the mission. 
Jim, that's such great advice because don't you think that one of the and I, I see this particularly you know in startups and uh, with younger fundraisers is when you get that job, there's so much pressure to just start raising money very fast that a lot of development officers don't take the time to help their organizations actually understand what fundraising is. It can look like magic and it looks like free and easy money. And as you're saying, you've got to build those deep roots and you've got to help them understand that this is, is an investment in the future of the organization, not just quick and easy money. I, I really think that that is helpful. I think it's also helpful to keep them advised as you go along. We have different kinds of things that we tend to rely on. You know, we do gift reports. We make presentations at board meetings occasionally. But we really don't explain how we think the program is progressing. Are we moving along in terms of not just counting the money, but are we increasing the numbers of donors? Are we increasing their level of participation? Are we seeing multiple gifts from these two donors? And in a sense, are we growing the program along the way and understanding the various tools and techniques that we have that actually can be implemented and how they support one another over time? Absolutely. And, Jim, I just want to let uh, our listeners know that we do have a very special uh, opportunity for them today, being that this is the AFP Wiley radio show with uh, Jim Greenfield as our page two uh, expert, is that we are going to be giving away a copy of our most recent book together, Internet Management uh, for Nonprofits, and that's going to go uh, to our first caller today. Now, remember, when you dial in at 347 Three two four three zero eight zero. You do need to press one. I see a number of people over in the switchboard. Area code three zero five. Area code nine seven three. Area code two zero two. Um, so, uh, but none of you have pressed one. So I, I'm not going to call on you uh, unless you press one and let me know that you do have a question uh, for our guest. So we are going to give away uh, a copy of, uh, of that book today. Now, Jim. I reached out to you when I first started uh, writing books, and, and I think we've uh, we've done five books together. Uh, no, we've done four books together because I did one uh, with uh, Mel Warwick um, before we started working together. And you always question, uh, being that all my books are about online fundraising and, and social media and, and use of the Internet, you always questioned, uh, you know, why did I want you involved because you didn't view yourself after 40 years as necessarily an expert on the Internet? My answer was always the same, and it's the same right now, and it's the reason why I'm thrilled to have you on, on the show, is that I think online fundraising, while it is a great opportunity for charities, needs to be grounded in the roots of fundraising and needs to understand how fundraising works offline to be able to know how to fundraise online. Uh, over the time that we've worked together, you've had the opportunity to edit and interact with a lot of very, very smart uh, authors. Have you seen, as this has grown, the, the, the roots of on, offline fundraising really come online? Well, I, I certainly would agree it's been growing, Ted. And while it's sometimes hard to get the actual statistics that seem to help us understand not only counting the money, but the the incidence of increased use of the Internet and all of its variables for nonprofits, one of the things that's clearly uh, been proven is that it is attracting donors for the first time from the younger part of the population. And we're very encouraged by that because that's that's not the easiest group to try to reach, and they're reasonably still young and not yet engaged much in the life of their community. 
So we are seeing some demographics here that are different. Uh, when I worked in colleges, the, the challenge was always to get the newest, youngest alumni to still stay connected through either alumni programs or be a member of the association. And so this, this is one avenue that's improved. But I think the real point is that it's integrated into the existing fundraising programs. The Internet, in my view, the greatest asset it has is its ability for personal communication. It's an unusual kind of thing that we haven't had before, except where we could get on the phone, perhaps, and separate from face-to-face, -face, actual discussion where you have the opportunity to exchange things. The Internet and all of its avenues, and some of them amaze me with the instant nature of them and their reach globally, allows us to have that almost level of face-to-face -face communication with people anywhere about our cause, about the work we're doing, about their role, about how they can participate. And it reminds me again of one of the things that over time has helped me understand that, that people's involvement, particularly individuals with nonprofit organizations, is really a donor's desire to make a difference and a donor's desire to do things in the community or elsewhere that they believe in, that they believe is important. But they can't do it themselves. They can't do it by themselves. But through the organizations that they choose and the charities that they like and the ones that they believe are doing good work, together as a partnership, they can make great things happen. And I think that's really advanced over a period of the last 10 years. And, and so for you, you unlike I think it's fair to say, some of uh, some of your seasoned colleagues uh, may be uh, a bit, uh, I'm not going to say scared, but maybe uh, a little bit uh, uh, intimidated by the use of the Internet. You view this as a very positive extension to the solid work that you've done in your career for 40 years. I think so, Ted, and I think the institutions are getting more comfortable with it. I know that in the beginning we were a little concerned about whether it was going to be secure for financial transactions. And Amazon, is, in one instance, has helped everyone kind of understand you can actually give them your credit card information when you buy something, and it's safe. And so as the Internet itself has grown and as the exchange has grown in terms of including the ease of financial transactions and the security that goes with it, organizations have become, I think, nonprofits have become more comfortable and have embraced the opportunities to engage their people and offer them all sorts of alternative ways to participate. And it's all about connecting, isn't it? It's, it's about the, building relationships in ways that are meaningful to the donor, not just easy for the charity. Yeah, it's really about not just in being in touch. And, of course, in today's world, you've, apparently you've got to be connected everywhere with everyone at the same time. And that sort of amazes me as a phenomenon, but in reality, it does allow for increased numbers of people to be actively involved personally and have a sense of personal interaction with the causes they care about. 
Absolutely. Jim Greenfield, uh, about almost a decade ago, you wrote uh, a book that I consider to be a Bible for any serious fundraiser. If they don't have it in their collection, they need to go to Amazon today uh, and buy it. And that's Fundraising Fundamentals, a guide to annual giving for professionals and volunteers. Uh, This was, of course, published by uh, John Wiley & Sons in 2002 in its second edition. What makes this book so special? Why is this book so important for a serious fundraiser to have read? Well, what I tried to do was show the interaction between the various methods and techniques that we have. Lots of organizations use the mail. Lots of organizations have benefit events. Some have membership organizations. Others have donor clubs. All of those are avenues or tactics, if you will, what I tried to do was show how in starting a program and using a mythical organization with just sort of launching itself into the business of being a charity and inviting the community to participate, how it can grow and how it should be able to grow by integrating and adding additional vehicles along the way, all of which are part of what we generally refer to as the annual giving program. It's made up of lots of pieces and parts, but how do they connect? How do they relate to one another? How does it build the relationship between the community and the nonprofit organizations that that they care about? And how does it engage people and increasingly engage them and involve them over time to not only reliable financial support, but all forms of engagement and support leading to volunteerism, leading to major gift opportunities, et cetera. So there's a, the, there was a strategy here that I had in mind to illustrate the relationship as it grows over time within the organization that uses these methods, uses these proven, tested tactics to better effect by being aware of how well coordinated they can be to grow the organization, grow the program, Annual giving is designed to be a program to develop reliable annual contribution support. And by taking a look at how all of it works together, I think more organizations can benefit by understanding and integrating these activities. Jim, I think it's uh, uh, we have a question that uh, just came in by email from Doreen in Atlanta, and, and it's, it's a basic question, but I think it's a, a good one, uh, and, and that is she's saying, what is annual giving anyway? And it occurs to me that those of us who uh, maybe are seen as leaders in the industry uh, have learned what we know from you and from others like you. Um, and so much of how we define uh, fundraising uh, are things that you've defined. So uh, can you help Doreen and, uh, and our listeners understand what is annual giving? Well, I think a lot of people might have different points of view about it, and a lot of organizations have developed one or two or three or five different ways in which they go about their fundraising year in and year out. And I'm afraid that some of them have just sort of repeated what they've done and repeated it again and repeated it again without necessarily examining it or understanding where it's working, where it's working well, where improvements may lie, where it's not working, and how they should adjust. You know, there's lots of accountability expected these days not just of the fundraising program, but of the organization in how it uses donors' money. 
So annual giving in itself, really, in the, as its base, is a, is a methodology that creates an engagement between the community of supporters and interested people and volunteers with an organization that is going about doing its job of serving the community. Now, we use a lot of tactics and we lose, use a lot of communications, all of which can be coordinated, but the idea is to, in, is to involve and engage people in their communities with the causes they care about because it delivers back to the community services that everyone believes are valuable and needed. Jim, when you think about annual giving, uh, sometimes I think of uh, to define that as almost to define what it's not, um, because I think in terms of annual giving compared to other types of giving, and in a, a typical giving pyramid, you might view that there would be annual giving, major gift support, and planned giving support, those being the three main categories, wouldn't you say? Yes, I think so, Ted, and it's important to understand that the annual giving models is really the base of a foundation that allows these other programs to grow and flower. You know, it's, it's one simple example would be that you have a $10,000 donor who for several years has been very generous and has made these levels of major gifts. They came into the program years before as perhaps a first-time donor, as perhaps a first-time attendee at an event. And the foundation built up with them and others a consistency, an engagement, a satisfaction, a, a reality that working together they were doing great things, but that 10,000 donor now has left the area. How do we replace that level of support? Do we need a thousand, a, a $10,000 donors to step up and commit themselves to that level, or do we need a hundred $100 donors? And where is that going to come from? Where is the pool of interested, committed people who have the ability and interest in doing that. So and it does have the ability Jim, you're, to the, you're the expert in, uh, in knowing how to do that. I'm just going to take a little bit of a station break. Jim, when you come back, I'm going to ask you how in some of the prior startups and in the offices that you have run so successfully, uh, what are some of the component parts of a successful annual giving program? So I'm just going to take a little station break because I've got a favor to ask of my listeners today. special station break uh, today. I want to draw your attention back over to the radio links at tedhartradio.com. You will find a special link today right under the MLK videos that we have posted over in the radio links for you today. I just want to draw your attention to the fact that uh, this year marks the 150th anniversary of the Medal of Honor, which was signed into law by President Abraham Lincoln. As part of that celebration of what the Medal of Honor represents, the Congressional Medal of Honor Foundation has invited the Boy Scouts of America to nominate an outstanding scout for a prestigious American Spirit Award. I'm particularly proud of the fact that one Eagle Scout here in the state of Maryland, where I make my home, uh, has been nominated for this award. I want to draw your attention to the radio link, which you can find at tedhartradio.com, and ask you to vote. Now, vote for the, the, uh, the young man here that you feel is most deserving, but I did want to draw your
your attention uh, to T.J. Elwine, uh, who has been nominated for giving dignity to military chaplains uh, here in uh, uh, Maryland, specifically in Davidsonville, uh, Maryland. I just want to draw your attention to that. I'm very proud of the fact that my son Alex is just one step away from becoming an Eagle Scout himself. He's completed all of his tasks and just has his board of review yet to schedule. Uh, as a fellow Eagle Scout, having obtained my Eagle Scout some 31 years ago, hard to believe, uh, I'm very proud of the fact that he and these young men uh, have taken the time uh, to uh, study and to learn and to give back to their communities in becoming an Eagle Scout. So that's our very special station break here on the Nonprofit Coach today. Jim, we're back here uh, from the break, and I just wanted to uh, ask you to reflect on all those wonderful and very successful offices that you have uh, literally created across the country in a 40-year history. When you think of annual giving and you think of your book, Fundraising Fundamentals, what are some of the component parts that our smart listeners need to make sure that they incorporate into their planning to succeed in their annual fund? Well, I think the example that uh, you shared with us earlier uh, in talking with Kendall, where she was uh, explaining that they now offer a gift card option, is an example of, of the creativity. But what it suggested to me in having a moment to think about your question is no one has ever said that annual giving was really about one gift every year. And and I think lots of people uh Certainly, our folks on our side of the table understand that we need to ask for gifts in different ways or for different parts of our program during the year. We ask for an annual contribution as a regular stand. We we invite people to attend our benefit events. We invite them to join our membership organization. We elevate those who increase their giving to donor club status for larger gifts. We engage corporations and foundations in annual support for the organization and its highest priority of needs. We engage through the Internet in all the avenues of reinforcing the communication link and the conversation, but also to, to offer opportunities for people to participate, to have access to information about the organization, to choose where they want to send, uh, where they want to direct their funds. We, we recruit volunteers to assist us in all phases of annual giving, whether it's seeking sponsors and underwriters for benefit events or special campaigns or whether it's just getting auction items for our benefit event in order to be more successful financially. So that was a quick sort of pat, you know, run through of several of the methods and techniques from direct mail and telephone, perhaps reinforcing a letter, and then we call and we follow up with an email, et cetera, where we integrate these and use them to advantage inviting people to be actively involved in our organization. What are some of the biggest mistakes that, that you've seen charities make in failing to uh, build a strong uh, annual fund? Well, I, I'm reminded of one that I made years ago, uh, in developing a a mailing list and 
starting a program at the Children's Hospital in Boston. We engaged a, a direct mail firm, and we decided that we needed to test various lists of mailing lists for throughout New England. And the idea was is that we were going to find out whether a certain message would appeal and whether a level of giving would be acceptable. And we had something like 40-odd separate lists, and we tested 2,500 to 5,000 names out of these lists. And we had a very good return, over 4%, actually. And we were quite amazed at that. That's unusually successful. And then we had a call from the chairman of the board of the hospital. He'd received almost every one of the solicitations because we had not yet learned about duplicate elimination. Oh, so he, he received one from every list. He was on practically every list, and he didn't think our program called Direct Mail was worth a darn thing for years. But part of So you can do a lot more damage by being quick <laughs> than, uh, than taking the time to get it right. Oh, well, we learned about duplicate elimination, and I've never forgotten it in all phases of, of this kind of work. But largely we're talking a little bit about how to manage a program that runs every year and then has to be repeated and with the expectation always that you will raise more money and it will be more efficient and it will be more effective. And the goals within the organization may change year to year and in sometimes the projects that are the areas of greatest need have strong appeal with the public and they really can get behind it, get excited about it. And in other years, particularly after you've completed a capital campaign where you had so much excitement and enthusiasm, and you go back to just regular annual giving, it's pretty hard to restart the program and build it back to the level of enthusiasm and support. So what are some of the, the secrets to making that happen? Because there oftentimes are organizations that are looking to build a capital campaign, but uh, oftentimes the biggest issue is are we just cannibalizing the same gifts that we would have received anyway? Well, that's always been an issue, and, and while capital campaigns are a very uh, highly designed special fundraising program aimed at large gifts, they have the advantage of multi-year uh, to, to pay, and they also have the opportunity to engage lots of new people because the nature of the project reaches out more broadly. Yes, there is always a certain trade-off with the annual giving levels because the major gift program needs not only to, to utilize the best of the best as far as major gift prospects, but it's going to also recruit volunteers from the annual giving program areas who have some experience, and that does, in effect, weaken the annual giving program. So the annual giving staff has to work a lot harder just to maintain their level, and the institution needs to understand, as does everyone involved. You know, we still have to run the organization. We still have to meet our annual fundraising goals for the annual operating budget while we're also raising money for a new project in a capital campaign or an endowment campaign. And that's a real and Jim, struggle. Isn't, but that, isn't that really the key to these kinds of programs is that, you know, we may think of it as just sending out direct mail or just making phone calls, but it's really the integration of all of those various aspects and at the same time keeping an eye on building and enhancing those volunteer relationships. That's right. And, and there's sort of a – when you have a major effort like that, that's kind of a, 
payoff time for all of the good work and building the foundation because now you know where potential lies. You have volunteers and leaders who are experienced and are supportive, and everyone's willing to dedicate themselves to a newer or higher goal to benefit the organization and the community. Jim, if you had uh, the opportunity, and of course, uh, as, as I said, you know, if there's anything uh, close to perfect and, and a book that I recommend to absolutely everyone in the nonprofit sector, it is Fundraising Fundamentals, a guide to annual giving for professionals and volunteers. But it does occur to me that, uh, uh, you know, it's nine years old now, almost 10 years old. Um, if you could write the book again, what would you do differently? <laughs> well, uh a tough question, uh, Ted. I think that one of the things I probably place more emphasis on understanding the nature of the relationship between the donors, volunteers, and the others who are participants, that this is a team effort, that it isn't just asking for money and counting it as it comes in. It isn't counting the numbers of donors. Uh, it goes back to the principle uh, of friend-raising and relationship building. Uh, we have to continually be aware that we're working with individuals, largely the majority, and the majority of the money comes from people who we have to pay attention to, we have to listen to, we have to, to work very hard to engage them in what we're doing and helping them understand that the funds that they're giving are actually doing significantly important things. So I would like to place more stress on the outcomes of the organization, how the organization's own need to have good plans for themselves, good strategic plans based on community needs, good financial plans based on known sources of all sources of revenue, and good communications, marketing skill uh, to bring the message to those in the community and to invite them to be a participant. And, then yeah, and Jim, that is what great advice that obviously comes from uh, many years and many offices um, of learning those kind of of, uh, of skills. Because one of the things I always keep in mind is when I was the CEO of the University of Maryland Medical System Foundation, uh, I would always think in terms of you know we had tens of thousands of people who came onto that campus every single day uh, whose only thought was great patient care. And it's not to say that my office and the team that I had were not interested in. Now, of course, we were. Great patient care leads to uh, uh, you know, nice gifts uh, for the institution. But it's how those tens of thousands of people viewed our office. And oftentimes, if you were to ask someone, they would say, we were the people who threw great parties. Exactly. And they, they viewed it from the external view as opposed to you know, the very deep relationship-building work that would go on every single day. And I think for a development officer, don't you think that that internal audience is one that's often missed? Well, that's why I made the point earlier about getting to know the people, explaining to them how it works, and then staying in touch with them, letting them know how it's progressing so they do have a better understanding that, yes, we do throw great parties, and that's a, there's a reason for that. But we also do a lot of other things that also contribute to the engagement of the community. The other point, Ted, uh, is that we have to we have to do a better job, I think, as nonprofit organizations in reporting back to the community, donors and non-donors alike, what did we do with the funds and what benefits, what actually what 
what were the values that were delivered back to the community in exchange for that transaction. The accountability, the outcomes measurement, the quantitative and qualitative reporting by the organization reinforces the whole reason we were doing this in the first place. And if we and have Jim, you were one of the leaders in our industry very early on as sort of this wave of accountability was coming on, uh, where you were really looking at the hard numbers and really looking at how do you measure. What are some of the, the, uh, the things that you learned in that, those exercises? And I know that uh, a couple of your books really focus on uh, the issue of measuring success in fundraising. Well, it became increasingly important because we were asked questions about are we being successful, are we efficient as well as are we effective? And it took a, quite a while to actually uh, research this, and it, and then I came to a what I call the nine-point performance index of several ways in which we can consistently measure what we do, individual program by program as well as bottom line, and having built that model, then used that model as an example in the books to try to illustrate that there is a way to look at this. In, in building a consistent measurement tool allows other people to build some confidence or to gain some confidence that, yes, we are doing the right thing, we are efficient, we're effective, and we measure effectiveness by are we increasing the numbers of donors, are we increasing the number of donor renewals, are we upgrading numbers of donors. Those are those are the kinds of things that a development office needs to focus on to see that the program is actually growing as it should, not just how much money did we raise, what did it cost. And doesn't that really spell the difference between a true development officer and someone who is just trying to raise money, someone who understands that while there is a bottom line and raising money matters, that it's really the emphasis placed on relationships that will bring the long-term success? Exactly. This is a long-term investment strategy. There is a real difference between money raising and fund development. And I think many, many people now understand that and are, and are willing to invest the time and energy and institutional budget, even in tough times, to make sure that we maintain the relationships and we stay in touch and we continue in, to invite people to be a part of what our organization is doing that benefits others. Jim Greenfield, I can't thank you enough for joining us today here on The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. This has been incredible insight. It is rare that uh, we have an opportunity to really pick the brain of somebody who has been a sage in our industry uh, for f such a long period of time. Uh, we are just about out of time today. Hard to believe that an hour has gone by. Uh, but, Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. My pleasure, and good luck to you. You bet. Uh, last up here on the Nonprofit Coach, as we round out the, this hour together, uh, is just to let you know where I will be next, and you will be able to uh, see me if you would like to join me at the 41st Annual Case NAIS Independent Schools Conference uh, this next weekend. I will be lecturing there on online fundraising, social media, and what it takes to succeed online at the Chicago Marriott downtown all weekend. So join me there. And you can find them and the information at case.org, C-A-S-E.org. That's a show that we have here for you. We will be back here uh, on the Nonprofit Coach next week with a big show. Don't forget to join us 12 noon Eastern next week. Thank you, everyone, and have a great week.
Not boring. A laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.